Creator. Nature sings an awesome song of praise. Even the heavens declare His glory. So I will stand before you and proclaim. I know Him. Yes, I know Him. I met Him at the foot of Calvary. I know Him. Yes, I know Him. The best of all, He knows me. He's moving in this place right now, I feel Him. I do believe that He is here right now. With outstretched arms, He beckons to the weary. Come, I will give you rest, my child. I know Him. Yes, I know Him. I met Him at the foot of Calvary. I know Him. Yes, I know Him. But best of all, He knows me. Best of all, He knows me. I know Him, yes, I know Him. I met Him at the foot of Calvary. I know Him, yes, I know Him. Best of all, He knows me. Thank you, David, for that. Revelation chapter 21 tonight is where we'll start. And does anybody need notes out there? Anybody need notes? We get them all? You need notes? All right, we've got a... We've got a kindergartner who needs notes right down in the front. He's going to keep up with us. Somebody want to grab him some notes? Anybody have any? Mr. Jack, right down here, needs notes. Thank you, Miss Gail. All right, Revelation 21. Revelation 21, as we get started tonight. And we'll go ahead and tell you up front, the only options that we find in God's Word regarding the eternal state of humanity are heaven and hell. And there's simply no other choices. That's the, the ones that God has given us. And tonight we're going to start by talking about uh, the lake of fire, also called hell, Hades, and Gehenna. And so we're going to start in Revelation chapter 21. Next week we'll talk about heaven and uh, some more things about uh, the new heaven and new earth, new Jerusalem. And yeah, looking forward to that as well. Revelation 21, verse number 23. And the city had no need 
of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. Just like Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Verse 24, And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. I love that verse. Isn't that just wonderful how it's phrased? The gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. That means the gates will never be shut. And it will always be day. How many are afraid of the dark? Anybody afraid of the dark? No darkness there. Verse 26, And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Now, it's interesting that this verse is right in this discussion of heaven. Look at verse 27. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Father, would you work now tonight in our hearts as we talk about hell. I pray that it would be a reality for us. Help us to understand that this is not a storybook. This is not a fable. This is not something that someone came up with to scare children or to scare people. This is the place where all those who reject Jesus Christ will spend eternity. And I pray that you would help us to soberly discuss that. And to view it in the way that we interact with people in our community this week. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's start right into your notes off of the verse that we just read. God's purpose in the great white throne judgment is to remove from His eternal kingdom all things that defile. All things that defile. The location for those souls is the lake of fire. Now we're going to discuss every part of the lake of fire, and I'm not really going to get into the uh, differences between the Greek words right now. That would be a study that we would have to do at a different time, just because we're trying to fit all of these characteristics of hell in. If you even have something as simple as a Strong's Concordance um, in your personal library, or if you can get on the internet and yeah, just research some uh, Bible sites, and look at the difference between the word, the word Hades, which is hell, and the word Gehenna. And you're going to find that, that many times in the New Testament, hell is referring to the lake of fire. In the Old Testament, the word Sheol can either refer to the grave or to the lake of fire. And you have to look at the context in some of those cases. And I believe we've done a study on those words before. Um, Chuck would have to look it up in the in the, uh, the catalog and see, but I think we have. So we're just going to uh, talk in English tonight the best way that we can and uh, cover some of these things. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Jesus talked about hell more than he did about heaven. He talked about money more than he did about heaven or hell. Because that's what sends most people to hell. Matthew chapter 11. Jesus is talking about the judgment of these cities. 
And if you'd look at verse number 23, we'll just single out Capernaum here. This was a, a city in northern Israel, and he's speaking to them about their judgment. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shalt be brought down to hell. Now we know that this word, the word hell here, Hades, is not referring to the grave. It's referring to the lake of fire. A city does not go to the grave. Um, it's talking about the fact that this city, because of their rejection of Messiah, will go to the lake of fire. Look at the end of the verse. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee would have, had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. And you read through that, and that's quite an indictment on a city. If you picked out the worst cities in world history, what would they be? Let's, let's get some suggestions from the crowd here tonight. Top five worst cities in world history. New York. <laughs> probably so. Probably, probably so. Somebody got one? Rome. Yeah, Rome. Definitely huge. Yeah. I heard something else. Los Angeles. Yeah. What, what do you say? Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay. So Bible city. What is it? Babylon. Yeah, another Bible city. Nineveh. Bible city. Berlin. Oh, yeah. Horrible. Jericho, yeah, the walls came down, and, and God said, if you try to rebuild it, you'll do it on your firstborn. Yeah, it, it, that's quite a city, too. Anybody else? You guys are thinking. I like this. What do you got? Philadelphia? Hey, could be. It's called the city of brotherly love, but sometimes it's not, especially if you go there for a football game. Well, yeah. Chicago, at this point in world history... We would agree, yes. Detroit. Oh my goodness, they're having a hard time. Washington, D.C. You guys are thinking all over the place, yes. Reno, Nevada. Yeah, it's a wicked place. <laughs> Biggest little city in the world. Hey, she's thinking right. Well, how about Las Vegas? Have they added uh, any good things to our national New Orleans? Yeah. So... We're, we're thinking of these wicked cities, right? And, and God, through, through Christ here, picks out the one that everybody knew. I mean, this was a city that was destroyed by, what was it destroyed by? Fire and brimstone, which we're going to discuss here in just a minute. And uh, God says that it's going to be more tolerable for that city in the day of judgment than for you. Because you were given everything you needed to follow God. This is the tragedy of kids who grow up in church and then turn from their heritage. They're just like this city right here. Because they reject what they know to be true and embrace something that's entirely false. And God said, to whom much is given, much will be required. And so that's quite a lesson for us. Look at Matthew chapter 16. Now, this is right in the passage where Jesus is talking about how the foundation of the church will take place. And he's talking to Peter, and he says, Upon this statement that you've just made, 
I will build my church. I'm paraphrasing because we're going to read it in a second. Um, Some people get confused on this statement or this passage, and they think that it's talking about Peter, that he's going to be the first pope. Please keep reading in Matthew 16, just a little bit down, where Jesus says to Peter in the same chapter, Get thee behind me, Satan. All right, so Peter was no more angelic than anybody. He was a human being, and there was a statement that he made. Um, look what, let's go back to verse 16. Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So he said, You're the Messiah. It's been prophesied throughout the whole Old Testament. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, the rock is the statement that Peter just made, I will build my church. Now look at the end of this. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the lake of fire is an actual place, not just a soul state. All right? Um, There's not an imaginary state of mind that has gates. This is an actual place, the gates of hell. And we had, um, I'm trying to think, maybe about a year ago, Pastor Akers, who is starting a church in Star, Star Baptist Church, did a tremendous study for us, either on a Wednesday night or a Sunday night, on the gates of hell. And it was a terrific study. I remember hearing him do that. But Matthew 16, 18 indicates as well it's a place. Look at Luke 16. And when we think about hell, uh, this really is kind of the go-to passage. This is where Jesus tells a story about a rich man and Lazarus. And uh, there's something interesting in this passage that I've always found. Almost every time when Jesus was going to tell a parable... It says he answered them in a parable or he told them a parable. In this passage, he never indicates that this is a parable. Um, He just says there was a certain rich man. And and so we're thinking, boy, this is not a parable. This is real. He's talking about a real place. And uh, so Luke Luke 16. And of course, uh, we find that the rich man died and was buried. And uh, look at verse 23. And in hell... He lift up his eyes. So this is not the grave. This is the place of hell. This is the place of destruction. And in hell he lift up his eyes being in torments. So we know from this verse it is a place of torment. And seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Um, if you look down at verse 28, it says, For I have five brethren, that he may testify to them, lest they also come into this place of torment. So this is a place of torment. And uh, that is a descriptive phrase that Jesus used about the lake of fire, about this location. And uh, there are scientists who have done all kinds of studies to disprove the existence of hell. There are Christian scientists who have done studies to prove the existence of hell. And uh, the thing that irks me sometimes about Christians who are scholars 
or who are kind of pseudo-scholars, is they feel like they have to stretch things to make hell to be more real and more horrible. And the reason why that irritates me, you never have to stretch God's truth. God's truth is as big and bad as it could possibly be all by itself. And so for a Christian scientist to have to try to invent that they drilled, you know, and they heard screams, and it's not verifiable, but the guys who were there knew about it, it irks me. It's kind of like, I was going to tell you this this morning, I didn't. There's a story where Darwin, Charles Darwin, um, recanted and repented on his deathbed of evolution. It's a a completely made-up story. And it irks me when Christians get told that story because what do they want to do? They immediately want to repeat it. But if you go back and look like it answers in Genesis, talks about it, and Henry Morris knew this, it's completely made up. Um, It never happened. Darwin is in hell right now because he didn't repent. Um, He did not recant of, of saying all those things, those blasphemous things about God. So if, if you're a Christian, just stick with the truth. I mean, a place of torment, that's pretty bad. And we're going to see some of the other components of it. So we don't have to come up with, and I've heard some great messages on hell, don't get me wrong. But we don't have to come up with these details that are way far out that the common man is saying, where'd you get your facts from? Because when they say that, we better have our facts. The worst thing you can do as a Christian is to stretch the truth. And especially when you're talking about God's truth. So it's a place of torment. And maybe I got into an opinion there, but sometimes that happens. Matthew 25. Matthew 25. I don't like pastors who tell fish stories. God's truth is big enough. We don't have to stretch things. Matthew 25. Now, this is talking about the judgment of the nations, and we covered this when we studied the judgments. But I want you to notice the usage here in verse number 41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So that's another description of this place. Everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And uh, most Bible scholars who've studied this would say that hell was not a part of God's original creation. But at the fall of Lucifer and a third of the angels, that God prepared a place for them to have everlasting punishment. And when man chose to follow the prince of the power of the air, Satan, that, and rejected the Messiah that God was going to send, that this became a place to involve mankind as well. Look at Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Mark 9, if you have a study Bible... Above verse 42 there, it probably tells you that this is some kind of a warning of hell or a description of hell. And I look at Mark 9, verse number 43. 
And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off, for it is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell. Now, the Greek word here is Gehenna. There's no way that this is talking about the grave. Gehenna was a, a place, the worst place that you could possibly imagine uh, in Israel outside of Jerusalem. Into the fire that never shall be quenched. Where their worm dieth not, the fire is not quenched. And he goes on about the foot and says again, the fire that shall never be quenched. Where their worm dieth not, the fire is not quenched. And then he repeats it again. And so Jesus talks about what Gehenna is repeatedly in this passage. And it's a horrific description. It's a place of everlasting and unquenchable fire. Now, I looked uh, to see, is, is there such a thing as unquenchable fire? Is that possible? Because obviously we know that our sun, that's 93 million miles away, is a ball of fire. Really hot fire. Like 25,000 degrees Fahrenheit type fire. And yet, scientists tell us that eventually our sun will burn out. Secular scientists tell us that. Now, Al Gore tells us that in 20 years there won't be any people left on the planet because the sun's heating us too rapidly. And we are involved in that because we drive automobiles and do all these other things. So, um, not to get too far off track. So I looked up, is there such a thing as unquenchable fire? And it, it says, you know what it says? That dwarf stars, this is secular science, dwarf stars hold in their core unquenchable fire. It can never burn out. For the star to burn out, it would have to expand to 5,000 times its size. But in expanding to 5,000 times its size, it would cause more fire. And, and so a dwarf star is unquenchable fire. So it's possible, even in known science by earthlings, which is not really that much compared to God, we already know that there are places in the universe that have this potential. And it's a place of everlasting and unquenchable fire. Revelation 21. Revelation 21. You've ever been into uh, a class that teaches evangelism, teaches you how to, to speak to people about the gospel? This is likely a verse that you've memorized before or you're familiar with. Let's look at it. Revelation 21, verse number 8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And you can go through and discuss that verse um, with, with people that you're talking to and uh, help them understand that it only takes one lie to be a liar. And this verse lists liars. And uh, that's where this, you know, you know the phrase, you know where liars go? Comes from, comes from this verse. And, and people use that. In, it's a common phrase in society, you know, where liars go. So Revelation 21.8 talks about that it is a lake that burns with fire and brimstone. Anybody ever been to uh, 
Yellowstone National Park. Yellowstone National Park. And uh, underneath Yellowstone National Park is the largest possible volcano in the Western Hemisphere. And if, if it goes off, I'm sure our geologist brother could help me with this, but if it goes off, every life form within 100 miles would quickly disintegrate. Um, at least that's what I've been told. But underneath, if, if have you ever seen Old Faithful? you ever seen Old Faithful? The old geezer? Geyser? Um, and and you, when you're going through Yellowstone or you buy a hot spring, and we have a lot of hot springs in Idaho, and you ever go up to the source of the hot springs and uh, take your shoes off and walk on the rocks for a while, what does it smell like? Oh, my word, it smells like rotten eggs, right? Sulfur. Now, when I read these passages, I'm kind of thinking of that smell and uh, that environment, the heat that's coming from the core of the earth. And it, it, it's coming all the way up through the mantle and through the crust, and it's getting all the way up and bubbling out um, in our hot springs and in Old Faithful and in volcanoes. And yeah, what an amazing thing that hell will be. It's a lake that burns with fire and brimstone. Revelation 9. Revelation 9. So stick here in Revelation for just a minute. Another description. Let's start in verse 1. The fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And uh, this, we, we could get into really detailed things here, whether the bottomless pit and the lake of fire are the same thing. But let's just say that we don't want anyone to go to either place. No matter what the definition of it is, the Bible right here says that there is a bottomless pit, that it is full of fire so hot that it causes a smoke during the tribulation period where the sun and the air are darkened. Now, for that to happen, it just seems that the bottomless pit is somewhere really close to the earth, right? If it were going to cause smoke in our atmosphere here on the earth, it would seem like the bottomless pit could be at the core of the earth. Yeah, so without getting too detailed, seems like that. Let's look at the notes it's a bottomless pit with undying worms and outer darkness. Now, we already talked about the worms in Mark 9. Yeah, we, we don't really know what the worms are. There's been all kinds of speculation that I've heard before. Um, but where their worm dieth not. And as people talk about different heat worms. And, and, uh, but you read through Revelation, and you're already reading about creatures that come out of these pits that you can't even really describe humanly. You can't even draw it. You can't even really get an imagination around it because it's so horrific and so hideous 
Yeah, even in verse 7, the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle, and on their heads were, as it were, crowds like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men, and they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions. And so that's a creature that's tough to even describe. And I think that's the way it is with a lot of these prophecies. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. When you're reading through these traits, it, people get kind of flippant about hell. In fact, hell is the most common of the curse words. Isn't it interesting that people say, well, God doesn't bother me. I don't believe in God. There's just no God. And yet, what are their most two common curse words? His name and the place where he sends those who reject him. It's pretty telling. So here we go in Matthew 8, verse number 12. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's another description here of hell. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't know if you have ever heard someone who is weeping uncontrollably it's a tough thing it's a tough thing to be around I remember one time we got off a plane in Seattle and we were going through customs and as we went through customs you have to go pick up your bag to check it back in I think I was with Cody and there was this woman who was just weeping uncontrollably weeping and she didn't care who saw her she didn't care what anybody thought it was uncontrollable weeping. And as I think somebody in her family had passed away. And she was talking on the phone, just uncontrollable weeping. And you think of moments in your life um, where you just cry out with weeping. Years and years ago, um, we went home on a Sunday night. This is when we were in Boise. And uh, the kids were really little. And uh, we put them to bed. And, and we ate. And, and we were watching... Uh, Something, and my wife says we were watching Joel Osteen. <laughs> uh, we watched Joel just say, hey, I wonder what he's doing. Um, but we were watching Joel Osteen, and we all of a sudden realized that our beagle was not in the house. And we thought, oh, I wonder where she is, because she never gets out. And uh, so I was the one who went out to look for her. And I, I walked out of our cul-de-sac, like 50 feet away on the side of the road, I saw her. And... Um, I just yelled. I, I don't even know what I yelled. But my wife heard it, and it freaked her out. Like, it really freaked her out. And she came running, and we're standing there around the dog. It's just a dog, you know. But we're, we're wailing. Oh, that's so horrible. And how are we going to tell the kids? And we wrapped her up in a blanket and buried her in the front yard. And, and a, but that was for a dog. Can you imagine your loved ones in hell? I, can you imagine your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers, people that you know and care about weeping for all eternity? Uncontrollable weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, 
the gnashing of teeth is a tough one. Because normally, what do we think of when we think of gnashing of teeth? People who are freezing. Right? People who have hypothermia. And they're as cold as they can be. And their teeth are gnashing together. Just clicking, clicking, clicking. But the, the Bible says that this is a description of hell. And one of the cliches, as you talk to people who are flipping about hell, they say, well, I don't mind going there as long as my friends are there. Right? Or, hey, it sounds like a good time to me. And it, it breaks your heart to hear that. Because the Bible never talks about this as being anything but horrific Pain. Horrific torture. So it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want you to look at Revelation 14. We're going to take an informal poll here as we turn to Revelation 14. What is the longest that you have ever had to stay awake or that you've ever stayed awake? All right, let's, let's go here. Anybody ever stay awake for 48 hours? 48 hours. Okay, that's nothing. Nothing these people... Anybody ever stay awake for 72 hours? 72 hours, okay. How about 96 hours? And you're humanly getting on the verge there. How about 120 hours? Five days. Five, five days, okay. And then past that? Past that? 144 hours, six days? I mean, just incredible, right? And when you, when you see stuff like this and you talk about, you know, this... They had to keep the Navy SEALs were running in place for 72 hours or the truck driver was staying awake or the guy at the office had a big project and he had to pull an all-nighter two nights in a row. And I tell you what, I've probably stayed awake a few times over 48 hours, but the thing that I'm thinking at about the end of the 48th or 49th hour is I think I'm going to die. I don't think my body's going to go any further. And if you've ever driven all night and you, you start to hit dawn and, and the light starts to come up a little bit and you're, you know, and you're trying to stay awake, it's an incredibly different, ex, difficult exercise. The communists used to torture people by putting, including a, a Christian pastor named Harlan Popoff, they put him about this far away from a brick wall, made him stand like this for nine days without moving, you know, barely kept him alive with some type of fluid. He had hallucinations. Um, it destroyed parts of his body. It destroyed functions of his body. And it, think about no sleep. The human body, how many of you agree with me, was designed to sleep. You know what I'm saying? All the teenagers just agreed with me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's what the Sabbath was for, right? God rested on the Sabbath day. And your body needs a day of rest as well. Although it shouldn't be Sunday during church. It should be a different day. Look at this in Revelation 14, though. Revelation 14, verse number 11. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. Look at this. And they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast in his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. It is a place of no rest 
and eternal torment. If you take the traits of heaven that we'll see next week, the opposite of all those traits is hell. Heaven is eternal rest, and there's no night there, and you're wide awake, and things are great. Hell is complete darkness, and there's no rest there, and there's no light there, and there's nothing good whatsoever there. So it's a place of no rest and eternal torment. Chapter 20. Now we've looked at these verses several times in our study. Let's hit them one more time. I don't know that there are any more powerful verses. They're just short verses, but that describe the predicament that people will be in who reject Christ and end up in this situation. Revelation 20, verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. This is at the end of the millennial reign. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, the last enemy to be defeated will be death. And so death is going to be thrown into the lake of fire along with hell. And hell is Hades. It's where all of the unsaved dead have already been. They're cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now here's what we say in your notes. It is the definition of those, or it's the destination, excuse me, of those who receive second death. It's the destination of those who receive second death. And this is a Bible term, second death. And you could use second death and lake of fire. They're identical terms. They mean the same exact thing. Underneath, we're going to tell you what second death is. Go back to John chapter 8. Jesus described what second death was. And when you hear it, um, you're going to think, well, goodness, that doesn't sound as bad as unquenchable fire or everlasting torment or complete darkness or worms that don't die or a bottomless pit where you're always falling. But I have to tell you, it is the worst thing in the universe. What Jesus is going to describe is the worst thing in the universe. John 8, verse 21. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and you shall seek me and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. Here's what the second death it is. It is complete eternal separation from God. Complete eternal separation from God. And there are a lot of people who say bold and crazy things about God. And for all eternity, they'll be cursing their Creator still. Even though their knee is bowed and they've confessed, you truly are God. They will be crying out for all eternity, asking, begging, for one more chance, begging for the presence of God, and they won't get it. This is the second death, complete separation from God. Think about where we would be without God. It's pretty easy to figure it out, right? There would be nothing. There's nothing. 
In the beginning, God created. And if there were no God, there's no us. And when people defy their own creator, they do it at their own peril. Because the second death, it's not going to be anything that's ever been described. Uh, I don't know if you've ever done something that you thought was fun, and afterward you said that was much better than the description. Right? Like you've ever been to a restaurant, and maybe they didn't have pictures of their, their dishes or their items, and you got done eating, and you said, that is better than description. Uh, our life group went to a, on a date night last night to a place called um, I Love Lucy. No, that's not it. Ling and Ling and Louie? Is that it? Ling and Louie. And um, when we got done eating, um, here was my slogan for the meal. P.F. Who? And uh, some of you who, who are restaurant people would get the um, P.F. Chang's, another famous Chinese. And I said, P.F. Who? Because it was so good. They didn't have pictures. They just had descriptions. And I had the honey walnut chicken. It is easily the best meal I've ever had that contained those items in my life. How many of you know, on the opposite side of that coin, you've been to a place where there was a beautiful picture? And not so good. And the picture was gorgeous, right? Uh, Carl's Jr. hamburger plopping down in slow motion. Got all this beef and bacon and guacamole and, a, you know, just settling and waving like that. Some things aren't as good as the picture, right? I hope you've never gone onto the internet to meet someone with singles type stuff and um, romance and what's, what's it called? I don't even know the names of them. Doc, some, eHarmony.com and dating, how did she know that? Dating.com and ChristianMingle.com. How do you understand that a picture may be worth a thousand words, but that picture is not the person I just had coffee with? Right? That may have been that person 24 years ago and 140 pounds ago, but that picture is definitely not that person that I was just with. That's the way it is with hell. We, we can paint any picture that we could possibly think about or describe, and we just can't get there. And I cannot paint for you an accurate picture of hell. I can't do it with heaven either, on the good side. But this is horrific, folks. And it's the second death. Now, here's what I want to say is this last part. Because there have been some books written in the last four or five years by people from what's called the Emergent Church, and they've actually made it into Christian bookstores, and they've actually become popular books. And one of the authors that you should avoid like the plague, his name is Rob Bell. And Rob, um, who was a pastor for many years before he wrote the book, and it was pretty solid theologically before that, wrote a book that questioned the existence and the components of hell, and that also went totally into what's called universalism. And universalism says this, and it's basically a Catholic doctrine. It's where they came up with purgatory. 
They said the people who don't make it to heaven, they'll have to go to purgatory or this place for a while. But eventually, God, because He's a loving God, He's just going to let everybody be with Him. And it's all going to be one happy family. Here's the problem. Never in the Scriptures. In fact, if God did it, He would deny every trait of who He is. He would deny His holiness. He would deny His redemption. He would deny His sovereignty. He would deny every part of who He says He is. And who he's been for eternity past. And so we say last in your notes, God's word indicates no second chance for sinners after death and judgment. Let's stand. Hope you stop by your service group tonight. See what's going on. If you're part of the outreach team, one of the partners needs to grab a map. Let's pray before we go. Father... We don't talk about hell as often as we should. I think sometimes that we don't talk about it because really we feel guilty. Our consciences know that there are people around us who will spend eternity in hell, but we'd rather not think about that. We'd rather not talk about it. Rather just watch another show or go to another game or spend another dollar. But there really are people, people that we know who will be in hell for all eternity. I pray that you would impact our hearts tonight, not with anything I've said, but with the piercing sword of the Word of God. That your word again and again and again and again this week would come to our hearts and remind us that this is a place of eternal torment with unquenchable fire. And help us to do everything in our power and everything in our prayers to reach people for you. Guide us to our homes. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.